you're taking notes. And we'll look at two things tonight, our sanctification and our stewardship, uh, which is outlined for us in verses 2 through 8. So we'll pick up with verse 2, our sanctification. What does it mean to be sanctified? Well, we know we've already been saved by the Lord. Uh, We've been covered by the blood of Jesus. We've been delivered from the punishment of hell and eternal death and the dominion of sin in our life. But we still sin, don't we? We still fall. We still make mistakes. We still struggle with our flesh. And so because of that, God has an ongoing work called sanctification. You know, you are, you're completely cleaned by the Lord from an eternal perspective. We're already seated in the heavenlies, according to the Scriptures. Isn't that great to know? There's a part of us, and I don't quite understand what all that means. If anyone tells you they understand all what that means, they don't. We're seated in the heavenlies, but we don't feel like we're seated in the heavenlies sometimes, do we? We, it says, be not conformed to this world. We feel the world's pressure around us. We feel the world's pressure on us. We feel it every which way you can think of. We have the temptations that come from the enemy. We have the temptations of our own flesh. We have sicknesses. We have bills to pay. We have all the things, and all those things could cause us to act the same way the world does because those stresses and strains and temptations are pretty heavy. Now, that's why going back to verse 1, it is always the right thing to represent ourselves as living sacrifices. And God will do through us what we cannot do through ourselves. But we're given some good uh, discipleship or instruction here. Uh, We're not just informed of our situation, because in a way we're aware of that. We know that the world's pressure. We know that the world's always calling us to conform to its way of doing things. And uh, the world has an answer to everything, but God's answers are not the same. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. That God would take and daily take the world that gets into us, pulls that out, and recleans us. So you don't shower once in your lifetime. It has to be, well, I hope you don't, but uh, it has to be a continual thing that uh, hopefully you do daily. Um, Now, that's not possible in some parts of the world or difficult situations, but in a general, uh, if everything is normal, that's kind of the way you want to operate. And we need to be daily transformed the same way we have to daily present ourselves as living sacrifices. We come to the Lord and say, Lord, here I am again. I remember a long time hearing, a long time ago, uh, hearing a um, pastor that said, uh, is an old-time preacher that said he would just, uh, you know, greet the Lord every day, private so-and-so ready for duty, whatever you want me to do. And that's the general sense of verse 1, which we covered two weeks ago. But now, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by what? By the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Now, if we're not to be conformed to this world, and we know that the Lord wants us to be different from the rest of the world, uh, the one thing we have to do is we have to determine at the heart level, we have to commit that we're not going to love the things of the world 
or follow the ways of the world. It's the world system that the scriptures are talking about. And the world has a way of doing things. Yeah, you know, sometimes you'll hear it, I don't get mad, I get even. That's part of the world's system. We'll get into more of that when we get into verses 9 uh, through 21. But that's just, a, that's just a rudimentary example of the world system. I don't get mad, I get even. Um, another, here's another example of the world system. What happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. You ever heard that one? It doesn't just stay in Vegas. It's written in a record that God keeps that will, when the books are opened, it was like, wow, that didn't stay in Vegas, did it? It was actually recorded for all eternity if you're condemned with those that wouldn't receive the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, you and I, uh, we've done things in the past that... that uh, would be recorded for us too, but it's covered by the blood now. So that uh, is not something we would stand accountable for. But that statement is very much the system of the world, right? Um, Working for the weekend. Nothing wrong with weekends, but we don't work for the weekends. We work unto the Lord. Just that slight difference of thought. You'd say, well, that's not, that, that's not even that different. So what's wrong with the weekend? I, I like to enjoy the weekend too. That's not the point. We do enjoy the weekends, but we don't work for the weekend. We enjoy the weekend. We work under the Lord. All seven days belong to God. Saturdays, Sundays, Mondays, Tuesdays, every day. And some of our best days in the Lord sometimes aren't the weekends when God uses us the most. So again, the difference in mindset. The world has a system that wants you to think a certain way. And it, it's everywhere. Uh, it, it, it perpetuates anything. The world says, you will finish high school, you get into the best possible college, you go, and then you'll do this, and then you'll do this. And, then, and God may say, that's not what I'm having you do. Well, the system says, and God says, I don't care what the system says. I want you to go here and do this or do that. But the system w- of the world wants us to conform, wants us to think temporally, and God wants us to think spiritually, right? And, and that's impossible in our own mind. So the work of sanctification, the Lord is constantly cleansing the world out. Remember Jesus there, uh, the night he was going to be uh, betrayed, he gets out and he starts washing the disciples' feet, right? It's a picture of, it's a couple of pictures. It's not a singular picture. It's multitudes of things. But a couple of the things we know that it's teaching that the disciples as future pastors must be servant leaders, serve first. But it wasn't just that. Jesus was also teaching that he's the one that continually cleans us and sanctifies. Remember, Peter said, wash my whole body. My feet wasn't enough. And Jesus said, if I wash your feet, everything else is taken care of. And so God, our feet get dusty in the world. You know, you, know, you go out and it was a picture of when you go out in the world and those of you that worked all day today, and you had to hear people use God's name in vain, and you had to hear curse words, and people had to say this, and, and you wish you hadn't heard that gossip at lunch, and all these things. Your feet are really dirty, but it doesn't just stay on your feet. You feel it's like up here too. And then about halfway through the worship, you're singing, and you say, wow, this feels a lot different than where I was. And it's a sanctifying work that God does. That's why the Lord would say in the Old Testament, before they would go and do something, sanctify the people, then you can go. You may have to be cleaned off and everything else. So every day 
we have to be sanctified. The world has to be kind of purged out of our mind. Which, this is what's nice about heaven. You'll never have to do this again in heaven. You'll just automatically be constantly, perpetually clean. But not in this lifetime. We still have to uh, have our minds renewed. First John 2.15 says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. When you get saved, God reveals to you that the world system, its way of doing things is wrong, right? Now they're kind of one of these. Here's a, here's a philosophy of the world. Well, you can look, just don't touch. You ever heard that one? What a trap that is. Looking leads to touching. And Satan knows this. This is as old as, you know, all the way back to the Garden of Eden. You can look at it. Look at it some more. Eventually you're going to touch it and eat it. No, you run away from the things of the world, whether it's alcohol, whether it's pornography, whether it's that you would actually say those things, I, when I got saved, those things died. And I now am dead to them. I'm dead to them. Now, when you hear them, you still can plead the name of Christ. Now is the temptation, his purity. Um, if you were in love with money before salvation... The world says that's okay. Get as much as you can. God says you don't take a penny of it with you. So, you know, I, I was just reading today, I was in Luke chapter 16 and my own studies, and, you know, the Lord, uh, the Lord, you know, Jesus taught on money more times than he taught on heaven and hell combined. About one in every seven verses in the New Testament. That's why he said it's harder for a rich man to go into heaven than pass through the eye of a needle. It, the world system is based on a few little trinkets, and they are money, pleasure, <laughs> right? You know the list. It's a relatively short list, and everything you see on every magazine and every TV show will center around a couple little trinkets, money, pleasure, power, position, something along those lines which pride is in there as well. And that's the world system. And the world wants your kids to believe in that system. And it wants them to be engulfed in that system. And of course it wants you to as well. But the, the, the Father says, if any of us really love him, we will not love the world. And we have to recognize what the world is, what the system of the world is, and then from there commit our way unto the Lord and say, Lord, I know that you will help me, cleanse me, keep my mind. Now, how can that happen? Well, we have to prove what is that, the renewing of your mind. The only thing that can renew our mind is the presence of God. That's it. You can't talk, you say, mind be renewed, done. I think I'll go do a workout, that'll do it. You'll feel good for a little while. But it'll all come back, won't it? The only thing, the only thing that sanctifies us is the presence of Jesus. That's it. There's nothing else. There's no other magic bullet. There's a supernatural method, and that's staying in his presence. Well, the only way we can be in his presence is his word and prayer. His word and prayer. Now you can throw in that, which is just a form, they're all forms of worship. You can take time to just by yourself. I, I, I did this at one time today. I, just, I, I knew that I needed to just 
sing to the Lord for a little bit. I, I, a couple songs I grabbed, and I needed to put in two songs that I wanted to hear to minister to me, and I am singing back to the Lord at the same time, which is just effectively almost a form of prayer anyway, uh, because you're basically just meditating on, on truths of the Lord, so you're actually getting the Word and prayer in there together. But the Word, prayer, worship, they all go together. They're the only things that actually allow us to sit in the presence of the Lord. Now, when we sit in the presence of the Lord, He then identifies the specks of dirt that must be removed. We, we acknowledge them, we confess them, He cleanses us from them, and then He begins to just pull everything out of the mind, all the worries, all the cares. You come in with a lot of them, don't you? You came in here tonight with some. I know it. Because I did. We all do. We come in with those. There's certain things weighing us down. There's certain things that are care. There's certain things that are difficulties. There's certain things that you say, man, I shouldn't have done that. Whatever it is, God will speak to all those things. But in his presence, he cleanses. He purifies. Uh, Jude chapter 1 Verse 20 and 21 says, But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. There's a lot in those two verses, but let's look at a couple of them as it relates to the renewing of our mind or the transforming of our mind. And they both go hand in hand. We have to pray in the Holy Spirit. Now, we have the Holy Spirit, so we pray according to the Holy Spirit. We, we must learn the way the Holy Spirit operates, and we know that through the Scriptures. So our prayers are led of the Spirit. Now, the Spirit cares about the things. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, they are always together, and yet always operating as God the Father individually, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's a strange thing. They're always together and always operating in their individual entities. They're never separate, and yet they have their distinct, and the Holy Spirit is always pointing to the grace of Jesus, always pointing to the holiness of the Father, all of these things, but the Spirit is always going to lead us to pray according to the will of God, right? Which is why we would not be praying, Lord, please let me win that 280 million lotto. Please. You know, that would be just, just nonstop. I'm fasting and praying over that. I mean, that's ludicrous. The Lord would have us be praying. You could, you could say, Lord, I'm praying daily for Pastor Saeed. I'm praying constantly that you use Reverend Billy Graham to speak in November to the nation. I'm praying that you would bring revival. Those are the things of the Spirit. I'm praying that you help me be a better father, a better wife, a better mother, a better husband, all of these things. Lord, I pray that you would help me uh, to love those uh, who have said things about me. I pray that you would help me to love... You know, These are the things that the Spirit prays for. So you're praying in the Holy Spirit. In the, and, and so you can't pray in the Holy Spirit until you first ask the Lord to cleanse us, right? You, just, you know the Lord's model prayer? Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We start with worship. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We start worshiping him first. We pray that his will would be done. Forgive me this day of my trespasses. You know, we often forget the other one and forgive those who trespassed against us. That's part of the, that's part of the package of praying for our own trespasses. 
we learn to pray for even our enemies or people that have despitefully used us or whatever else. We pray for them too. And, uh, and that's a sanctifying work. When we do that, we're acting just like the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not perfect like him, but we're modeling our prayers after him. And then with that becomes keeping ourselves, in, in Jude chapter 1, verse 21, keeping ourselves in love of God. Now we are in his presence. We're in the Holy of Holies. We've boldly entered in. We've, we've worshiped. We've uh, given God ourselves as living sacrifices. We're asking for his will to be done. We're praying that our own faults and sins be cleansed and those that may have even sinned against us. And when we pray for them, we won't be bitter against them, by the way. Every time you pray for people, you will love them more like Christ and it will happen without you even realizing, wow, I did I just say something nice to them without even thinking about it? Because the Lord begins to purify your spirit. It's a sanctifying work. It's a cleansing work. Looking for the mercy of our Lord. Always remembering we never ask for fairness for God, from God. We only ask for mercy. Only ask for mercy. Fairness is a, is a bad thing to ask for. Always asking for mercy. And that renews our mind. It actually re, it, it, it recalls to our memory Wow, Lord, you've been so good to me. And this is where it gets into uh, verse 3. And by the way, where it says that good and perfect will of God, that goes back to Jesus' prayer, thy will be done. We always want the Lord's will. We're working for the Lord, not for what we want to accomplish. But verse 3, for I say that through the grace given to me, everyone who is among you, not to think of himself more highly. This is where, going back to Jude chapter 1, verse 21, looking for the mercy of God. When we remember continually how much mercy we've received, we do not consider ourselves above anybody else. When we forget the mercy we receive, we begin to elevate or put other people down. They, they don't do as good a job as me. They, they're not as holy as I am. They're, they've messed up a lot. I hardly ever mess up. They make a lot of mistakes. They're not who they said they were. They think they're really spiritual in this area, but I don't think they are. This is not the way that Jesus talked or thought, is it? He, your life becomes a lot of things, but minister of reconciliation, bringing healing to people, encouraging people, building people up. And when we remember the mercy that we've received, looking unto the Lord for the mercy that's in Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're thankful that we've been given so much mercy. Paul says in verse 3 here, mercy is used in Jude chapter 1. Paul says, I say through the grace, grace and mercy go hand in hand. Grace, again, given that which we do not deserve, mercy not given what we did deserve. They go hand in hand. Grace, we're given the Holy Spirit is an element of grace in our life, that we're given the Holy Spirit to have power over sin. We're given the access to the Lord, which is, remember in the Old Testament, we've been in the book of Exodus. In the Old Testament, only the high priest once a year could go into the Holy of Holies. You and I can go to the Holy of Holies all day long. That's because of grace. And because of the grace, when we get in there, we realize that God is no respecter of persons. Everyone is equal. Everyone's equal at the foot of the cross. 
And because of that grace, it helps us to remember when we're about to get high and haughty, the Lord will not on our hearts. But not if we didn't come. Again, this is why it's a daily thing. To not become conformed to the world. If you say, well, then I will do that kind of... I'll go before the Lord in prayer and in the Word every Wednesday and Sunday. That doesn't work. doesn't work. There's a lot of things um, that that would be true of. If you said, I'm only going to sleep on Sundays and Wednesdays. Good luck with your health, right? I'm only going to sleep Sundays and Wednesdays. The rest of the week, I will stay up 24, 36, 72 hours, whatever it is in between. I'm only sleeping on Sundays and Wednesdays. Why? We know that sleep renews and refreshes the same thing that prayer and time in God's Word does. It renews and refreshes. You could not go long periods of time and say, I'm just going to take big old gaps without sleep. You could do that without food. Fasting food is one thing. Fasting sleep is, is much more devastating. Fasting food for three or four days is actually fantastic for the body. Not water. You can't go, you need to continue to have water, but sleep and water are much more necessary in a shorter period of time than food is. But nobody would ever consider doing that. Not purposely. I feel for those guys. You ever watch, this, uh, you ever watch the... Um, uh, Specials, I've watched some of them on like the guys in the Navy aircraft carriers where they'll, they'll pull 48 straight hours with no sleep. I see someone who was in the Navy nodding their head. And, I, and, I, and, I, and I'm like, how can that be functionally good for even our military? You know, it's like, but, it, but at times there's no, there's no other way to do it, I understand. But it's not good for anybody, especially as a pattern of life. And the same way, if we want to be renewed daily and our minds transform and go back to tomorrow, back out into the world with, oh yeah, the helmet of salvation's on, the gospel of, you know, shod with feet, my feet are shod with the gospel of, uh, of peace, and we've got on the breastplate of righteousness and the sword of the Spirit, that happens when we're sanctified in the presence of the Lord. Psalm 119.9 says, How can a young man cleanse his way by taking heed according to your word. You can only take heed to the word if you're in the word. I've read the Bible, I don't know how many times I've read the whole Bible. Uh, some chapters I've only, some books I've read less than others, but some I've read uh, a number of times. And I don't care how much I've read the word, I'm still amazed at how I can forget verses like, I said, I'll never forget that verse. Ne- that is just so cool, I want to pick it up and play with it for a day or something like that. I will never forget that verse. Four days later, where's, where's that verse that, uh, you know, uh, am I the only one? Because there, there's so many good ones, you can't keep track of them all. But the Lord constantly wants you in it because he will then use that verse that you've forgotten at just the right time. It's so necessary to be sanctified daily. We, um, we have to recognize what the Lord wants to do in us. John chapter 3, verse 29 through 30 says, Therefore, this joy of mine is fulfilled. He must increase, but I must decrease. One of the things the Lord is doing in sanctification in us is the longer we're saved, God is removing us from us and replacing Him in us. 
Now, Jesus already is residing there, but just like babies mature, and the Lord, we mature, and the maturity in us is we think less and less of ourselves over time. That's what, that's what Paul's point is here. Paul would have had, but if he was just going off of things that we would show as measured success, Paul would have reason to boast a lot. I wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. I planted most of the churches in the Mediterranean. You all are saved because of what I did. I mean, he could go on and on. I spoke five or six languages. You only speak one. Right? I've been delivered miraculously, probably from death. I've been to the third heaven. I've been there. I, he could go on and on and on and, and say, you peons are not worthy of my presence. But that's, that's actually the opposite of the way Paul became. The longer he walked in the Lord, he became less convinced that he deserved any of God's grace, which is amazing. You would, if, you, if we were to meet Paul back in the day, we would be surprised. We're like, this is the Apostle Paul? I thought I was going to see someone 10 foot larger, larger than life. And, you know, no. God does much through those that don't think a lot of themselves, but think soberly as God has dealt each one a measure of faith. Paul says in Romans seven eighteen, you know, well, you should know, I love this verse. For I know that in me, that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells, for the will is present, but how to perform what is good, I do not find. Now, that's chapter 7. Chapter 8 is all about life in the Spirit. But Paul's saying, in essence, at the end of the day, my flesh will be just as much in the cesspool of the world as anyone else's unless I'm renewing my mind daily. That's what Paul's saying in chapter 7. That there, you don't reach a place where, no, I know so much, I don't need prayer. And the rest of you, you're going to need a lot of prayer and reading because you, don't, you haven't reached this plateau. You're either drawing closer or you're falling back from the Lord. There's no in-between. Let's look at our stewardship. Um, last 15, 20 minutes here. For I say through the grace given to me, everyone who is... Uh, well, we already covered that. Verse 4, For as we have many members in one body, but all the members do not have the same function. So we being many are one body as Christ, as in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts differing according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. I'll stop right there. Let us use them. There was a story about a peculiar fisherman from Minnesota. You see, this fisherman was very well prepared. He knew how to fish. He had everything you need to be a good fisherman. He had poles, nets, bait, even a really nice boat. But this fisherman had a problem. You see, for all his preparation, he never caught anything. Not one fish. Not one fish ever. And you know why he never caught a fish? He never once went fishing. <laughs> never. He had all the stuff, but never actually went and took out the boat. Never caught a thing. It says right here, verse 6, according to the grace that is given us, let us use them. God will give the grace for us to do the work, but we have to say, yes, Lord, we'll do it. You have all the boat, 
nets, the bait, everything else. And this is why knowledge doesn't really... You can have knowledge, Scripture says, puffs up. You can know a lot uh, about the Scriptures and not do any of it. Uh, Sam Nadler, you guys know Sam. I, I love Sam. He, he makes the statement from time to time that most people don't really need more teaching. They need application. In other words, taking what they know and doing it. It's not that middle school kids don't know that drugs can kill and you know all that kind, all those kind of uh, PSAs. They know that. They have to decide. I'm going to do what is right. Now you and I can't do what's right in the flesh, but we're not in the flesh in the sense that we have been given the Holy Spirit and God's given us the grace to say, "All right, Tim, I've given you these set of gifts." Now you have to use them for me. Because a lot of the gifts, well, not the spiritual gifts. God gives us gifts and talents that are not necessarily spiritual gifts. There's no gift in the Bible called public speaking. Though I've done a lot of it in my lifetime, in the business world and now, and now in ministry. But there's, no, there's not a gift for public speaking. And we know it's not all that important because Moses said he was a lousy speaker. And yet... God had him do a lot of speaking, and he said he wasn't good at it. So we know that speaking, public speaking, isn't that, there's, no, there's nothing mentioned in the Scriptures as that being a spiritual gift, though it can be used for God's glory. Amen? Not everyone has a great voice. There's nothing in the Bible that says that it's a spiritual gift to have a great voice. Some of you have great voices. Some of you, I don't know. You might be with me. But a great voice for singing is not a spiritual gift, though it is still a gift from God and can be used to either glorify yourself or the Lord. You can use a great, if you have a fantastic voice and you win American Idol and you make all kinds of money, you can worship money, success, fame, or you could actually use your voice to the Lord. But it's not a spiritual gift, but it is a gift from the Lord and talents. Some of you are good with your hands. You could use your hands to build a bigger barn and a bigger barn and a bigger barn. Or you could say, you know, I'm going to build something for someone else. It's not a spiritual gift, but it is still something tangible that God has given. It's a skill, and some skills are given, and some skills are acquired. Some people, remember Paul spoke multiple languages. Um, some people have the gift of linguistics. It's they can actually learn a lot of languages rather, rather easily. And that can be extremely effective. Now, some might use that. There's unsafe people that have that ability too. You know that, right? There's unsafe people that speak four, five, six languages and they came very easy to them. They might be an atheist and never once use any of that. But then you have a guy like George Mueller who really could learn languages well. In the mid-1800s, he spoke about five languages and he went and preached for the Lord in about a hundred and some countries. And most times he didn't need an interpreter because he spoke some of the common languages. Remember when you had colonization, there was big regions of French and big regions of Spanish, and he spoke German as well, and he spoke English, and all these different, he spoke Hebrew. <laughs> so he was able to go and use that for the Lord, but other people wouldn't. But God's saying, whatever I give you as the body of Christ, if you have all these tools like the fishermen, Will you use them or not use them? And if you do use them, are you going to use them for the Lord? 
I, I mentioned I was, in, I, I was actually in Luke 16 in my study this morning, and uh, it, it struck me, this is my own personal study, but uh, I, I was just in this chapter today, and I'll read you verses 1 and 2. The majority of Luke 16 uh, is, is about uh, the love of money and the misuse of it, but the, ver- the first two verses are, are very appropriate to what we're looking at here tonight. It says there was um, a certain rich man who had a steward, and an accusation was brought to him. This man was wasting the master's goods. You know who the master is, right? He was wasting the master's goods. So he called him and said, what is this I hear about you? Give an account of your stewardship, for you can no longer be steward. It doesn't matter what the goods are, whatever God gives us, are we wasting our master's goods or are we using our master's goods? Some people are given wealth, and that's not wrong. God does give wealth to some people. The question is, if they're like the owners of Hobby Lobby, which really use a lot of theirs for good, that's wonderful. Other people are given other things. Some people are given just a unbelievable ability to minister to people who are sick. And there's, there's, it's just God's given them a gifting in that. Uh, there's all kinds of things. They can be big. They can be small. Some people are fantastic with children. Some people don't let them near children. And I'm not talking about people that we should really be worried about. I'm just talking about they're just not good with kids. And kids can't relate to them. Like, I don't know what, the, I don't know what this person's saying. And that's okay. They might be great directing traffic or doing something or building something, but you're, they're probably not going to be real effective there. We need to know what God has given us as far as our gifts are and how to be effective with them, but we still have to use them. I love uh, today um, Pastor Matt Mosaleski. He's up, at, uh, up in Calvary Chapel, Warrington. I saw that he, he put out a verse today, uh, and he actually did it from Romans chapter 12, verse 12, 6. I, I I had to quickly leverage this. It says, we are either on the front line or the supply line. There is no sideline. And he referenced Romans chapter 12, very appropriate, which is what we're in. Uh, Yes, we're either on the front line and whatever that is, working with children, working with the elderly, ministering to our neighbors at Bonaire, mom training up your children, dad training up your children, mom serving dad, dad serving mom. All those are frontline things that you can never get away from because they're the, they're the things of life, part of which you have in your own home, but then what God says, all right, I don't want you to just be on the front lines in your house, but also in the body of Christ and reaching the world. But the front lines, and then there's the supply lines. There's people that are actually, we've got people like Lee and Zach who are in India, but we're putting a, you know, a love offering together for them. That's the supply line over to them. That's you may not have to go to India. You know, may not be calling you there, but would you be willing to be part of the supply line? Of course, God wants us to be one. Or the, Actually, there's areas in my life where I'm supply line, and there's areas in my life where I'm front line. In essence, all of your life is, one, is, is a combination of both supply line and front line. If you were front line in everything, you'd be dead tomorrow because we're not physically and mentally able to handle being front line of everything. Some people try and be frontline of everything, and it'll burn you out. But you do need to be frontline on some things and supply line on others. And then the Lord is our lifeline. <laughs> He's the one that's renewing our mind and our body and our spirit 
daily because he will help us to run and not grow weary, right? We'll mount up with wings like eagles. We won't become weary in well-doing. We're told not to become weary in well-doing. And the Lord will help us to not be weary in well-doing. But if we have skills and abilities that we'll use for work, will we use them for the Lord? You know, some people, some you know, believers, well, I'll use my skills for the Kiwanis Club, or I'll use them for the United Way, or I'll use it for Little League, or I'll, but I won't do anything for the local church. Why? Why would, why would we put the world's things, not that, the United, not that everything the United Way does is wrong. When I was uh, in the business world, our company had an annual United Way drive. There's a lot of good stuff done. But trust me when I say the world has lots of people signing up for that stuff. And then we've got very few people signing up for the things that the Lord... The harvest truly is plentiful. Jesus said it this way, but the laborers are few. Few for the things that matter to God. Oh, everybody and their brother was... You know, when I, you know, it was almost a competition. Who could do the best thing for the United Way? At times, and it was. We had auctions where all you know, everyone had to kind of who was doing the best, and nothing wrong with that stuff. But it's not God's work. Man has man's work, and God has His work. He wants us using. We are to be fishers of men. The world will be fishers of money, fishers of compliments, fishers of pat on the back, fishers of whatever it is, fishers of uh, glory. Pleasure, all those things, we're to be fishers of men. And so everything that we do in this church, everything that we do here, is not, tonight we're not having an evangelistic outreach. But what we're doing should result in you having evangelistic outreach in your normal day-to-day life. That's what the equipping of the saints is for the building of ministry. It should cause you to see gaps and say, I can fill that gap. Initiative, doing that which needs to be done without being told. God wants to raise up an army. Uh, I've been talking to our elders lately. What I love, David had David's mighty men. Every one of the men in David's mighty men had specific skills. Some were awesome with bow and arrow. Some don't mess them with a sword. Some, you know, again, different skills, but David's mighty men, spear, each one of them had skills. Some would be faster. Some would be stronger. You see, you have the... In every organization that God puts together, there's different skills, different abilities, different heights uh, that God will use in each and every person. But he wants us to use those things for his work, not that we would squander anything that God's given us. Anything. Every resource he's given us, from our health to our finances to our uh, abilities to our skills and he doesn't, it's not that God says you're going to use that 100%. It's that you're offering the Lord it. Lord, ha- I've got this ability. You know, we've got, uh, we've got, a, we've got needs in this church. I mean, that uh, when we think of our accounting stuff, we're blessed to have a brother in the church that's a CPA that does all the accounting for the church. Saves us a good amount of money not to have somebody else do it. And on top of it, it's someone we can trust. Because He'll give an account before the Lord as opposed to having some third party, just little things like that. Those of you that uh, have organizational skills or you know how to clean or you have administration or web, website skill, 
All those things, God can use them all. Not just in this church, but across the church worldwide, the body of Christ is heavily um, blessed when we use the things that God has given us. And of course, we're going to reach more people uh, from the kingdom. Now, praise God, we're all different. Uh, It wouldn't be a good thing if we were all the same. There really is such thing as too many cooks in the kitchen, isn't there? Yeah, there are really too many chiefs, you know, not enough uh, you know, warriors or whatever. It's, it's important that we are different. And, I, and I'm glad that God has made us different. And there's diversity. Uh, diversity is a wonderful thing in the body of Christ, but not just diversity in culture and all those uh, areas of diversity, which are beautiful as well, but diversity in skills and abilities. And, and then we have uh, the spiritual gifts here mentioned as well, because what's mentioned in verses uh, 6, uh, 7, and 8, these are uh, some of the spiritual gifts as well. Prophecy, teaching, some of these are spiritual gifts given by the Holy Spirit uh, beyond, uh, again, there are good teachers in the world in the sense that you can go to a college campus and you can find some professors that are really good professors. Maybe some of you remember a high school teacher or a grade school teacher or a college teacher. You say, man, they were really good. I learned a lot. You also remember those like, I didn't learn anything from that person. Right? I, I couldn't understand. For me, it was a certain math class. I had a couple of them. I'm like, I don't know what they're saying. Then I had others that I'm like, so that's what that means. After five minutes. I just spent an hour and a half with this person, and I still don't know what they're talking about. I spent five minutes over here. So there are people that have good teaching skills, but that's still not a spiritual gift. This teaching is talking about God has anointed people for the teaching of his word. And so spiritual gifts are different, even though we find some of the same. Teaching and teaching almost would seem to be the same, but they're not, because the teaching of God's word is not academic. It's not academic. If it was academic, you can go, as a matter of fact, it is taught as academics around the country on many a college campus, and nobody gets saved under that. Nobody gets convicted necessarily. Matter of fact, some of those people teach it academic to keep you from ever being convicted or being comforted either because oh, it doesn't mean anything. It's just uh, poetry. It's writing. It's this. It's that. But it's not academic. The spiritual gifts, none of the spiritual gifts, we could use the metaphor, none of the spiritual gifts are academic. There are helpful people, but the gift of hospitality is a spirit-given gift that's different than your neighbor who might be unsaved. It's pretty helpful. Hospitality is going to be used even when the chips are down on both sides. Helpful a lot of times is, well, as long as I'm doing good and you're not, I can help. But what if we're both in terrible straits? The hospitality is a spirit-driven thing that actually still propels the person to have hospitality even when it seems like they don't even have the strength and ability to do it. It goes beyond. The spiritual gifts are different. Um, In Ephesians chapter 4, we'll take just a couple more minutes. We'll wrap up in the next five minutes here. But Ephesians chapter 4 Verses 11 through 13, it says, And he himself gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, some evangelists, some pastors, some teachers, for the equipping of the saints and the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith 
the Lord, ultimately, all the gifts are to bring a unified, cohesive team. And those of you that work in team environments, whether it be, you know, whatever it is, I, I look out and I know some of your occupations and I could describe the team environment that you're in based on what you do. Almost everyone has some level of team environment in the workplace. Not everybody. There are, so, are solo-type jobs where you're a lone ranger, but most people have a team environment, most. Some level of people that they support and some level of people that support them or the business or the operation or whatever it is can't be successful. And the same is true in the church, and it's certainly true in the human body. There aren't any parts in your body that you just want to just say, well, I don't care if that stops working. You might think you don't care if that part stops working, but then you'll realize that that part is connected to all the other parts and the chain reaction, and the same thing happens in the church. When there is some sort of schism, when there is some sort of cancer, when there is someone saying, I won't... I'm done, I'm not lifting this anymore. There's a chain reaction. One driver driving says, I'm just going to take a few minutes to look over there. (laughs) Here we go. It's a chain reaction. And the same thing happens in the body of Christ. But if the whole body is working in unity under who's the head? Christ. Under Christ the head, the whole body. And the foot doesn't really think it's less important than the heart, and the heart doesn't think it's less important than the thumb. Hit your, hammer with, hit your thumb with a hammer and you realize it's feeling more important than you thought it felt a few minutes earlier. But there aren't any unimportant parts. And when I look at this church, I look at any other church, I talk to other pastors, there's no unimportant parts. There's none. They're all important. Every part is useful to the Lord. Even, you know, we, sometimes we have the... Uh, on the Sunday morning prayer, even the little prayers from the children encourage adults. Every little thing matters. Um, well, I'm going I'm to stop uh, where we're at. We, we have just a few things to catch up on, and we just have the one last section, uh, but I'll stop there. There'll probably be a, f- a few more points uh, that, we'll, that, we'll, uh, that we'll cover when we get back together, but I, I'll close with this quote from Henry Ford. I think this is a great quote uh, when it talks about uh, the different units coming together. Uh, we'll get it, like I said, I will cover a few more of the spiritual gifts, and I want to just kind of point a few things out to you when we get back together. Uh, but he said this He said, Coming together is a beginning, staying together is progress, working together is success. Henry Ford said that. And, uh, you know, that's not, a, that's not in the Bible or anything. Uh, but that great theologian, Henry Ford. But, um, but there's a lot of truth in what he said as it applies to any church body, the body of Christ. Coming together is a beginning. Think about your marriage. Coming together is a beginning. Staying together is, a progress, is progress. Working together is success. And that's true in the body of Christ. God's already put the fishing pole in the boat. He's put all the bait in the boat. He's put everything in there. He's put everything in there we need to be successful. And he says, and I'll even tell you how to do it. And even when you mess up, he'll even tell Peter, no, 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 just throw the net on this side. Well, why would that side make any difference? Trust me, it will. 
more fish than he can handle. That, but we must come together, stay together, work together, recognize that net, the, the fishing pole is not more important than the net, not more important than the bait, the body parts are all important, all these things, and then each and every one of us, if we're renewing our mind daily, right, then we're all communicating with the same brain, which is the head, Jesus Christ, amen? Amen.